Welcome to Socialist Sound, a production of Seattle DSA. My name is Ty Moore, and this is our first episode of the new podcast. I sat down with Juliana Dobble, a DSA member and president of the Renton Education Association, to talk about Raise the Wage Renton, a ballot initiative campaign that Juliana helped launch last month to raise the minimum wage in Renton to $19 an hour. Before we get into that interview, a few words about this new podcast. In fact, this is a prototype episode, an attempt to demonstrate to Seattle DSA members what a regular show could sound like if we decide together to move forward with this new media project proposal at the March 25th Annual Convention of Seattle DSA. We're proposing to brand this new project as Socialist Sound, but the name itself will be voted on at Seattle DSA's upcoming membership meeting. Our goal is to create a regular, ideally a weekly, podcast as part of a wider media project. We also aim to launch a new website featuring articles with a socialist, working-class take on local news, offering a voice to frontline workers, leading labor and community fights, to anti-racist and environmental activists, and featuring discussion and debate around the central issues facing socialists and working-class people in Seattle, King County, and across our region. And we want to produce a regular leaflet featuring key articles from the website so that within all the campaigns that DSA members are actively involved, like the ballot initiative, Raise the Wage Renton, or the I-135 social housing initiative that we just helped bring to a victory, or our Starbucks workers' solidarity efforts, or the Matthew Mitnick Seattle City Council campaign, that within all of these fights, we want to give members a physical tool to make DSA's distinct politics and voice visible, to build our chapter and to promote a more in-depth uh, socialist analysis that we're going to have online in this podcast and, and articles on the website. Seattle DSA has much to be proud of, but as a socialist organization with nearly 1,500 members across King County, we are punching below our weight when it comes to public impact and media reach. Confronted with conservative corporate media outlets like the Seattle Times and local TV stations, working people are forced to rely on unreliable liberal media outlets like The Stranger and The Urbanist to communicate our socialist message and news of our campaigns. And we only need to remember how The Stranger endorsed Adam Smith last year, a war hawk bankrolled by the military-industrial complex against socialist candidate, DSA-endorsed candidate, Stephanie Gallardo. So we're confronted with both a challenge and an opportunity in the fact that there is a rapidly growing diversification of media forms being consumed by different sections of the working class, from various social media platforms to podcasts and videos to articles online and in print. And if we aspire to grow our political power and reach, we need to develop a unified media project coordinated across all the most important mediums of communication to reach the broadest possible audience. Our resources still remain limited, of course. Even with one part-time staffer dedicated to this project, our success will rely heavily on our ability to tap into the reservoir of volunteer talent and energy among Seattle DSA members. But I've been very encouraged by how quickly folks are stepping to the plate to bring this new media project proposal to life. If approved at the March 25th DSA convention, I'm optimistic that in the months ahead, we can lay the foundations for steady growth in Seattle DSA's media reach. Okay, 
Now back to our regular programming. I recorded this interview with Juliana Dobble on February 1st. Again, Juliana is a DSA member and was recently re-elected as president of the Renton Education Association, representing over a thousand teachers, librarians, counselors, nurses, and other employees of the Renton Public Schools. In January, Juliana helped launch the DSA endorsed campaign to raise Renton's minimum wage to $19 an hour. Hi, Juliana. Thanks so much for joining us on this inaugural edition of our podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's get right into it. So Raise the Wage Renton just went public a couple weeks ago, so many folks are just beginning to tune in to this important campaign. Why don't we start with the basics? Uh, what would this ballot initiative do if voters approve it in November? What's going to change? Sure. Well, we have really followed uh Tukwila's example. Uh, we used much of their similar language um, and their ballot measures. So if this passes, when this passes, uh, July of next year, the, the largest businesses will uh, increase their minimum wage to essentially what Tukwila's is at that point. And that is really based on the consumer price index for urban wage earners. So we talk about it being around $19 an hour, but mm -hmm. that number could shift based on the metrics and what, you know, what inflation actually does. Um, so we give uh, the ballot measure gives another year for medium-sized businesses to um, to catch up to that highest minimum wage level. So minimum size, medium-sized businesses, excuse me, are those that make fifteen that have fifteen employees up to five hundred employees, okay. um, or have a gross revenue um, of two million dollars a year. So the smallest businesses, which actually are the majority of businesses in Renton, uh, zero to 50, one to 15 employees, they are completely exempt from the ballot measure. In addition, though, we also have a provision in here that uh, would uh, have employers give additional hours to part-time workers. We see a lot of, obviously, turnover in lower wage settings. And so we really believe that if you're already part-time for a company, they sh your boss should not be hiring more part-timers. They should be giving um, as many hours as part-time workers want. So, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. That seems important, that uh, employers lower their percentage of part-time. What, what exactly is the policy to do that? Well, that's, that is the question we grappled with. Uh, before we launched this, we spent a lot of time debating a number of ways this, this measure could go. And the big one, really, we spent the longest time talking about was enforcement. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have you know, a Bureau of, of Labor Standards and Renton that can enforce this. So uh, we did not want to uh, draw more opposition by you know, creating more bureaucracy. We didn't want this to cost the city money as far as tax dollars to create a new office right. within the city. So um, we are going to be relying on enforcement mechanisms that are, I think, more grassroots, labor organizations, unions. Um, hopefully, you know, we will be educating workers throughout Renton of their rights, and that will raise consciousness, um, not just around the rights that this ballot measure, you know, uh, provides workers, but just general rights and, you know, standards of, of working conditions. So this is much bigger than just raising the minimum wage for most of us. This is about, um, you know, elevating the consciousness of workers in our city. My understanding also is that the wage uh, will actually be higher than in Seattle uh, when this passes. Is that accurate? It is, yes. Uh, looking at you know what SeaTac, Tukwila, and Seattle have all done. That's that's a big part of the impetus for this campaign. Is we uh, we have a saying in Renton. Renton is ahead of the curve, and uh, so we make fun of that a lot in in education circles. But um, <laughs> um, this is a place where we can be ahead of the curve. Uh, we we do hope that this ballot measure can. Um, 
in some ways incite some frustration with state leaders or King County generally of a patchwork quilt of wages. Um, that's not something we're avoiding. Like let's let's have somebody come out ahead and let's let's have a competition here. Who can who can out outdo the others? Uh, Renton is uniquely situated, um, you know, in the region with some really big employment you know, employment sectors and, Amazon. and well, yeah, Amazon. And, uh, that has also created, you know, ridiculous housing prices, rent. We don't have rent control in the state. Um, that's something else that we're focusing on. This campaign is obviously tightly focused on, on wages for the lowest paid workers, but, um, this really is a response to, um, just the general effects, um, at the stage of capitalism and how mm-hmm. we need to focus on the things that we do have power over. And, uh, we do still have an initiative process that works. So that's what we are, uh, engaging with, but housing prices really, is I think the biggest, the single biggest driver um, for the need to raise the minimum wage. Yeah. People cannot afford to, to live where they work. And so if we can raise the wage in Renton, then we hope other cities and maybe even the state can uh, continue their uh, upward upward climb with raising the wage. What you said about, you know, patchwork uh, differences and different, you know, employers, of course, hate that. Um, so it does incentivize, you know, if enough cities across the Puget Sound, across the state, raise the wages and uh, it will incentivize a statewide initiative to bring everybody up to a higher standard. So I think I agree. That's a totally good, good strategy. Yeah, I think you know we do have a high wage in our state. Um, and I, I have encountered that question of you're already we're already 15, you know, as of January 1st, 1574. And yeah, we are. And it's still not enough. 15 is <laughs> not enough anymore. No, I mean, it's not a living 10 wage. years ago, that was a, a radical demand today. Right. You know, that's you can't really survive. And not, a, not even close. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about how this campaign came together. I know a big impetus, as you already mentioned, came from the victory of Raise the Wage, Tukwila, just west of Renton, where voters overwhelmingly passed a similar initiative last November. But clearly not every city in South King County is following Tukwila's lead. So how did the discussions begin um, to launch this ambitious fight here in Renton? Oh, I love that question. I, uh, I I can say that TRU, the Transit Writers Union, really was... Um, a, a, a big a big player and an impetus for this um, to give us confidence. But Seattle DSA conversations are really where it started. Um, it feels like <clears throat> personally for me coming into this campaign, it was just, just a natural step in my, my life's path. Like, of course, I'm going to do this. But it did sort of manifest um, as all, <laughs> all solid grassroots campaigns do. It manifested with just a small group of committed people thinking they could change the world. And, um, you know, leaders in Seattle DSA really uh, started the conversation with us. We brought in uh, TRU initially just to kind of learn lessons from them. And then through the process of the Seattle DSA, mm-hmm. you know, passing a resolution in December of like, let's explore this. The membership did want to explore the possibility of this campaign. We took that, the core group of organizers, um, we took that on and basically said, we're doing this thing, whether or not Seattle DSA ends up endorsing it, uh, because it, it felt right. And um, so many of the of our steering committee uh, really were, uh, there. a lot of them are young and have just been extremely impressive organizers, uh, wonderful to work with. It, we're just like a we're like a single organism at this point. Our steering committee is just full of really committed, um, energetic, skilled folks. So, you know, we can attribute the, the initiation of this to Seattle DSA, but we are still really um, a pretty independent group as far as 
even though if, if we're all CLDSA members, we have our own set of bylaws. We have, you know, we have our own identity um, because this is much bigger than um, this. This campaign is much bigger than just raising the wage to, to most of us, but it also is much more narrow than, um, you know, some of the broader work that that we as socialists are doing. So right. <laughs> we're kind of straddling uh, straddling the, those worlds as far as being a. a independent grassroots coalition with a lot of support and help from um, groups like TRU and DSA. Well, that kind of gets into my next question. I've heard you at some of the DSA meetings and others say, you know, remind people that Renton is not Seattle. Um, so what do you think are some of the most important political or demographic differences in Renton? And how do those differences shape, you know, your campaign strategy, your messaging? Yeah. So, um, well, I was born in Renton. I, I lived in South Park, Seattle growing up. Um, I left, also lived in Kent. And I can say that having lived in Renton now for the last 20, 20 years or so, um, again, since I was born here, um, <clears throat> Seattle, Seattle is sort of like the big, the big sibling, you know, um, I, I joke a lot as, as far as like our school district politics go, we have trickle down economics from Seattle. Like what Seattle does as this as this urban hub um, really does impact the region. And Renton does have a really strong sense of history and identity. Uh, there's there's a lot of of money in Renton that um, a lot of moneyed individuals uh, who appreciate that we're not Seattle. I think our city council and our school board they like to fly under the radar. They, they like being in the shadow of Seattle. Um, parents in, in our school district <clears throat> do not have a sense of um, agency or voice in our, in our school district, and that's a problem on a number of levels, me as a parent as well as um, <laughs> a teacher in Renton for a long time. We don't have big, splashy you know, media coverage of our politics, whether it's the city council itself or the school district or whoever. So we're not Seattle in that we don't have um, such such a microscope, you know, view of what we're doing. And we have not run a lot of social justice campaigns in the city. Voters are not used to being, um, you know, asked to endorse initiatives or things. We we, are, we have conditioned them to door knocking for, for electoral candidates for office, but even then, candidates for office cannot come out swinging hard for the left. They have to, they have to play both sides. They have to oftentimes, um, you know, sort of compromise some of their, their politics and their strong theory uh, in, in leftist um, movements in order to win. Um, and that's, that is just because I think we are still sort of a suburban, exurban community that, again, we're in the shadow of, of Seattle. We're much smaller. Um, we don't have um, the same level of uh, education, I think. Seattleites, by and large, are, are very well educated on average. Uh, but we do have what we do have in, in Renton that is similar is a lot of immigrant communities who who do continue to um, have a sense of identity within them, within their communities, but also creating the fabric of Renton in a really um, beautiful, you know, diverse way is something that I'm really proud of when it comes mm -hmm. to the school district. Um, you know, we have schools that have 30 languages spoken and, and that is a wonderful thing. And yet as a city, we don't emphasize that. We don't celebrate that like Seattle does. So. I know you just mentioned your union, the Renton Education Association. I know they have a vote coming up next week uh, on endorsing this campaign, but assuming the membership votes to endorse, what are your hopes both for how teachers and the wider labor movement will engage in this fight? Yeah. So, you know, organized labor, um, 
doesn't agree <laughs> on, on strategies and tactics when it comes to these kinds of things. Right. Um, but as uh, as the president for education, you know, our REA, Renton Education Association, I am hopeful that um, if our membership does choose to endorse this through our representative council structure, that um, we will, just like raising consciousness of workers in Renton, we will um, help our members, our educators see that what we do in our community uh, impacts what we do in our classrooms and vice versa. So, you know, a lot of times in the education ed, uh, union world, we, we do have members that, that don't want to get involved with anything that isn't really focused solely on education issues. And yet, um, whatever kids are experiencing in their community, they bring to school. So mm -hmm. it is incumbent on us as educators to take a political to take a political position on what are the material living conditions of our kids and what are the communities and neighborhoods um, go, you know, experiencing that our kids are in. Uh, and that's something that I am extremely excited about. I ran, you know, with with this as my my campaign platform of we have to expand. Um, we have to expand our our power as a union to engage the community, whether or not families have kids, whether, you know, whatever um, people's issues are that they bring to education, uh, we as educators have a responsibility to open up and expand their thinking that what we're doing right now economically is not working. So I'm hopeful that teachers will um, take on a commitment. I hope that <clears throat> our members will get a certain number of signatures and that we will do some that good old parent listening sessions and get, get, us, um, get us seen in the community as leaders on economic justice, not just education. I think, you know, across the country, reform caucuses and unions, I mean, Chicago uh, core most famously, but have kind of been leading the way in the labor movement in terms of having a more expansive view of social justice unionism or whatever you want to call it, of understanding that it's not enough for the labor movement simply to champion uh, bread and butter issues for their own members that if we want to rebuild the labor movement, stop the long, you know, three decades of decline, we have to start fighting on issues that will impact and raise living standards for all working class people. And, you know, obviously the minimum wage is, you know, very straightforwardly uh, that. So, do you, you know, I heard you say it in some ways, but do you think this can be, this campaign can be leveraged to start bringing a debate into the unions here in Renton about what, you know, a different vision of trade unionism could look like? I uh, sure hope so. That's one of the founding <laughs> principles my, uh, that I bring to this. I mean, this is done, you know, outside of my day job because, you know, we haven't endorsed yet. Um, this is my free time. I'm spending my free time on this because I believe so much that that labor unions do have that responsibility. We do need to bring them in um, more collectively and find our common interests. But I think um, to your point of, you know, what what can educators do? Um, and what is the role of education? I, you know, we 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 have a lot of cliches in education, like it's the cornerstone of democracy and it's the great equalizer, and those are great in theory, but it isn't true actually. <laughs> Graduating from high school these days does not mean anything when it comes to the quality of life that you're going to, in, you know, experience. Um, and so I think it is it is past time for labor to sort of get over itself and some of the infighting, and um, you know find those spaces where we have a responsibility to every worker, every every member of the working class, not just union members. Um, that we are all in this together, and because we have such extreme absurd wealth in our neighborhoods, I mean, along the short of Lake Washington, we have people that are just. It's it. 
I don't know what how else to characterize it except ridiculous. Um, how much money is there? And then you just drive a mile, and there's so many people experiencing houselessness. Everybody feels it. Everybody, you know, sees it. And yet, there aren't a lot of clear solutions forward that give people hope that we can, you know, engage each other, whether we're unionists or just engage our neighbors if they have a different job. Educators are, to me, the through line in that we are in every community. We have a lot of trust. Um, as a workforce, uh, because, you know, we're martyred in the media to, you know, everyone knows our surplus labor goes towards humanity. We're not making profits for the bosses. Um, and I fully intend to capitalize on that <laughs> because we have to leverage that credibility and we have to start um, giving people hope. This is one single tactic that we can use to give people hope to see that we can, as the working class, transform our society. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and it leads directly into my next question is that you are, you know, president of the Renton Education Association, but you're also, as you mentioned, an active member of Democratic Socialists of America. And speaking for a moment with um, your DSA hat on, what role do you think socialists should be playing in this campaign? And how do you see Renton raise the wage fitting in to a wider strategy of building working class political power in Renton and, and across South King County? Right. Well, you know, Seattle DSA covers all of King County. Um, when somebody joins DSA, their address assigns them to Seattle DSA, no matter where they live in King County. So I think that's part of um, part of this conversation is this is not a Seattle group coming in to tell Renton what to do. This is people living in Renton. Um, you know, being supported by organizations like DSA. So as an active DSA member, what I would like to see is the same thing that we see for all of the campaigns. I mean, socialists turn out, socialists know that um, we meet workers when they're engaging in workplace struggle and getting the message out there of what socialism is to those of us that are, you know, active members is is really an, a foundational important part of this, but it's not the only thing. Uh, we will um, hopefully be bringing in organizations that aren't, you know, that don't consider themselves socialists, but do believe in raising the minimum wage uh, because it is the fundamental right thing to do uh, for, for people that, you know, that are in those uh, employment sectors. Um, as far as um, what, you know, I can do as an individual DSA member is just continue on my path um, to get just other socialists to understand that educators are sort of an untapped resource in in spreading the word um, that, you know, there are a lot of us that believe in transformation and we haven't given up hope that we can do it. Um, but it's it's one conversation at a time. Unfortunately, that's a hard lesson. A lot of young activists have to learn is, um, you know, just having a big protest or having some splashy, you know, media presence does not change hearts and minds. And the indoctrination of Americans to think socialism is is something other than what it is, is a, is a barrier. And we have to take that head on. And this kind of campaign is is one, I think, important mechanism to do that. Um, when somebody signs this, we're not asking them to join DSA. But when we have that conversation with them of, you know, what else is important to you? Um, you know, we, we can, those of us that are experienced in this work, we can, uh, I think, get people to see that we're not, we're not, we're not something that, um, is a big scary organization that's going to, you know, brainwash people that we are actual uh, humans who see a path forward, who have, whether we're Marxists or, you know, what other brand of socialism we ascribe to, um, we do see a path forward. And we do, we do know that it's going to take a lot more than just a minimum wage campaign to, to get there. But this is one tool in our toolbox. Right. You know, when I, I was very active, both in the Seattle and Minneapolis uh, fight for 15 some years ago, 
and you know which was also in both cases led by socialists and one of the things that really struck me when going out and tabling and leafleting and door knocking was you know people who absolutely did not identify as socialists but you know when you dug beneath the surface of why they supported raising the minimum wage you know they were raising very similar issues you know they understood the injustices in society the poverty the income inequality was a systemic problem they understood that corporations the political elite you know have way too much power and that we need to do something to change that and i think instinctively they uh felt very positive about when i would raise yeah this campaign to raise a minimum wage is only you know one step but we need a movement that will bring about more fundamental transformation and that got a lot of uh positive responses so um i don't know i'm just kind of riffing on my own experience but um how do you think how do you anticipate you know in a city like renton where the socialist movement has not had much of a footprint um so far uh how do you think this can i don't know raise the profile of dsa and you know be a stepping stone toward wider uh mass campaigns yeah so at all of our tabling events so far I mean, we have dsa flyers out um but again it's it's just like so much in organizing it's it's that one-on-one -on -one conversation it's knowing the person you're talking to and kind of gauging how ready they are to 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 take this issue and you know mentally cognitively intersect it with everything else that um that kind of feels like our impending doom i i continuously rely on the hope that I have in our students and our kids. And they do not see socialism as a dirty word. They understand that socialists are outside this binary, you know, political situation we have with R's and D's. And um, they see climate change as the existential threat that it is. And mm -hmm. we're never going to be able to um, make those radical transformations in how we use energy and pollution um, without lifting up the working class. And so that to me is where I find a lot of hope. And to that end, we do have um, a group of high school students that's coming together to plan a wealth justice forum. So this campaign will be uh, one of those topics along with some of the um, wealth tax bills we have in the legislature right now, 5486. Um, really, there are a lot of hopeful things that I think kids can connect dots, oftentimes for their parents um, to mm -hmm. see that, first of all, yes, they're there is there are disasters happening all around us. And yet, if we cause these disasters, we we are capable of finding the solutions to them. So um, I'm sorry, I kind of forgot your question because I'm thinking now about the hope I have in our students no, and our great. high schoolers. <laughs> like I have, I have a 17 and 19 year old, you know, myself and um, the kids aren't OK. They, yeah. The men mental health issues are just it's it's record-breaking the amount of self-harm and suicide ideation that we're seeing in schools. And so much of what's happening in the world, whether it's war, um, climate disaster, um, and just, you know, police murdering people still today, you know, like all of those things weigh so much more heavily on kids who are exposed to so much more information than um, many of us older people were. And somehow they are still carrying that through their lives. And um, and they they bring that sort of that angle into this campaign when they step up. We have Bailey um, is one of our political action committee mem core members of Raise the Wage. And just the impressiveness of how they talk is um, it, it really does inspire hope in a, in a time when I don't know that many other um, groups really can can claim to have hope that there is a there is a path forward. Our kids are the path forward. So well, wonderful, Juliana. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts. I'm sure 
we'll be coming back and having future discussions as this campaign progresses. But really appreciate you sitting down with us. Thank you. I just I just want to put a plug in. So, you know, as we bargain contracts in the union world, the bargaining is is the first step. You get something in writing um, that the employer must describe, must adhere to. And that's the true for this. Really, the work will be the enforcement. Um, after we pass this, we have a lot of work ahead of us as socialists to um, to educate workers on how to how to have their rights be upheld and enforce enforce this law. So I look forward to working with more DSA folks down the line, um, getting more of this kind of thing done and, and taking it from there. I almost forgot the one thing I want to make sure you <laughs> get a chance to plug is if people want to get involved or find out more, other websites, what's the best way for yeah. folks to plug in? Yeah, so I'm an educator. I'm not used to marketing <laughs> things. Um, RaiseTheWageRenton.org uh, is is the, the website that we are, we're getting going. Um, we just launched very recently, as you noted earlier. So we are, we're building it, um, you know, day by day. Um, if anyone wants to endorse or volunteer, there is a Get Involved tab. Um, donate tab. Donate tab is right there as well. Get Involved. And, uh, yeah, we will um, we'll take all donations. We have a very... A very flat power sort of structure. So if somebody listening to this is in Renton, especially, or works in Renton, or wants to be, you know, on the ground level of organizing it, we we welcome and anyone willing uh, to do the work. So, Beautiful. yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. That was Juliana, DSA member and president of the Renton Education Association, talking to me earlier this month about the launch of Raise the Wage Renton. As Juliana mentioned, the immediate inspiration for their campaign came from the huge victory won in Tukwila last November, where voters approved a similar initiative by 82% of the vote. That campaign was, in large part, organized by the Transit Riders Union. I asked TRU's General Secretary, Katie Wilson, what advice she had for DSA and Renton raise the wage. And here's what Katie had to say. I think this is a really exciting campaign, and we're thrilled that DSA is taking this on. TRU would love to see the movement for higher wages spread to every city in King County and throughout the state. The incredibly high vote margin in Tequila, I think, shows that this is a popular policy, a winning issue to rally working people around and build power. I think the biggest piece of advice I have is to take the workload really, really seriously. Renton is a much bigger city than Tequila, and gathering enough signatures to qualify for the ballot is no joke. It was a lot of work for us in Tequila, and it will be even more work in Renton. So I would strongly encourage every DSA member who's able to, to get out there and sign up for a few signature gathering shifts and do that soon. Cause the more signatures you gather in the first couple months, the less you'll have to scramble as you get nearer to the deadline in June. I think it's also worth noting that petition gathering gets slower as time goes on. Whether you're knocking on doors or approaching people in public spaces, you'll get the low hanging fruit first. Then you'll start to encounter people who've already signed or you'll find that some voters just never seem to be home. So it actually gets harder to find new people. So you have to expect that the number of signatures that you can get in a shift will go down somewhat toward the end. Of course, the fact that it's a lot of work is not actually really bad news, it's kind of the point. Petition gathering can be a great way to build your base and lay a foundation for future campaigns. For example, in Tequila, we're now starting to push for stronger renter protections. Um, and in doing that, we're organizing alongside renters who we met last year while door knocking for Raise the Wage Tequila. So that's really my main advice. I think if you can get the signatures, this is a totally winnable campaign and a big victory in Renton would be a really great foundation for further organizing in Renton and all around South King County. Thanks so much for listening to this first prototype episode of Socialist Sound. Our hope is to focus each episode going forward on a specific campaign or issue with one or two feature interviews 
but also to find ways to bring in more voices from the front lines on each topic. Thanks so much to Luke Wigren and Charlie Spears for recording and mixing the audio for this episode. I'm your host, Ty Moore, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm.